All righty, welcome back to the program. Uh, great to get your support of the program too, 404. So thank you very much for that. Now, time to speak to Spencer Casimir. Who is Spencer Casimir? Well, he's been on the program previously, PhD researcher, business professional, host of Lead from the Side podcast. Basically, he's a rugby league expert that found the game as a 16-year-old in New York City. I know. <laughs> We're going to get more of that. Spencer's on the line. G'day, Spencer. Hey, how you going, Jimmy? Yeah, really well. Uh, first of all, remind our listeners how it is that you came to be a, a lover of rugby league. You know, quite simply, Recording I, in progress. Was, I was 16, late night TV on a Thursday, and I saw a sport that just looked absolutely incredible. Uh, I didn't know what it was, but there were enough overlaps with American football for me to wrongly believe it's more similar than it actually is. But it was enough to hook me to say, I can understand this, so... Uh, many gray hairs later for, uh, those that get to see photos, uh, I'm still following yeah. very intently. Fantastic. Hey, let's go to these games over there in the U S and remember, we're not just talking about two games. We're talking about 10 games because it's a five year deal with two games each year. We, we are seeing momentum in the U S but certainly from an Australian lens, you know, it's been reported back here in Australian media. Do you have any ideas about what sort of headway, these games are making either in Las Vegas or in the wider um, US of A? Well, it's an interesting one because there are uh, the obvious low-hanging fruit of people who already love rugby league, uh, Australian and mostly M62 English expats with a few people from the south of France. But uh, we forget that, uh, not to speak forbidden words, but there are a lot of rugby union players in the US as well. They just want to be involved with a rugby code and most of them don't know rugby league very well they know it is the you know the other rugby they know it's a physical tougher rugby with more cardio but there's not a lot of education on it um i think that's a very keen group uh, obviously being in las vegas has its links with uh with punting and not the nfl style of punting yes. uh, that we saw in the super bowl but yes. um I do think there's a good opportunity there to be a solid, legitimate off-season sport. Um, But there are time zone constraints based on these things. I've talked about how I thought um, in a perfect world, we could have used the lockdowns to have earlier broadcasts here in Australia, which would have allowed for Americans to tune in more easily, but also provide Australians domestically here uh, for us to be able to have more things to watch throughout the day. Um, But these are in the past. We can't change that. And we can go forward with the opportunity, understanding that there are similarities that um, do come from our shared route in pre-split rugby, gridiron codes, rugby league, et cetera, both American and Canadian, uh, that people can tune into. So it's not limited to the U.S., but Canada as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good point too. Here's the other part about it. We've had a number of people, and I can't remember their names, but... Uh, they said rather than call it rugby league, call it NRL because of the confusion around the two codes. Do you think that's a good idea? You know, that's interesting. I think for the NRL, that's a great idea to brand it as NRL in that capacity. I'm not a fan of aligning, uh, again, as a historian, so to speak, I'm not a fan of calling sports by corporate titles because sometimes you say, I remember years ago, I went to a, uh, an arena in Chicago and the person said, never heard of it. And, you know, they had changed sponsors, but it was the same spot, uh, the same space. However, for purposes of this confusion that you're talking about, it's actually very, even more complicated. Uh, when I was over in the north of England, people still referred to rugby league as just rugby. Yes. They couldn't understand why I called it league. Uh, and I simply said, well, that's just what we call it here in Australia. And they said, what do you mean we? I said, well, I'm an Australian citizen, <laughs> despite the accent, and I live here. Um, 
So I do think there's a complication with that. Uh, if you want to go far enough back, the Rugby League World Cup came out before the Rugby Union World Cup. Yes. There was no reason why we could not have just called it the Rugby World Cup, but we didn't. So we don't own that name, not in IP and not in reality. Um, but people do still call it rugby. So I do think a calling this the NRL for multiple reasons does make things easier. Okay. If I were to phrase it my own way, I would say some people call us uh, league. Some people call us rugby. Some people call us, um, some people called us the Northern Union. Everybody calls us the NRL. Yeah. And that way you're paying a polite nod to everybody's cultural customs around the 13 aside game, which is rugby a tres if we're doing French as well. <laughs> uh, but um, I don't speak French. Please don't ask me to do more. Okay. Um, but at the same time, acknowledging that we have a singularity that we can refer to at least NRL rugby league as simply NRL. Yeah. And I think that's a nice compromise. Um, one of the things I love about the NRL is we do acknowledge the past teams that have won the grand final, even prior to the Super League War and ARL merger. Yes. Um, so there's no reason we can't acknowledge everybody's traditions of what we call the game, regardless yeah. of where we're from, while also providing a singular monolith for everybody to identify with. Uh, je m'appelle Jimmy Smith. Uh, this is extent of my French as well. Broadcast deal. Um, Très bien, oui, les toilettes. <laughs> <laughs> um, US audiences, okay. One of the things I've been advocating here is that we need to get a US commentator. I don't know whether you can fulfill this role, but a US commentator in the commentary box and asking the questions or, or, or viewing the game through the prism that a US-based uh, audience member would be doing. Are you agreeing with that? I, I do think that's very important. And to an extent, my knowledge in rugby league could be considered and maybe even interpreted as uh, precluding me from that. But I actually hold on very strongly to my roots in rugby league and learning about it for the first time uh, because I have to explain this to people constantly. Uh, in the U.S. Yep. and my Canadian friends as well, because they'll say, well, why are the tacklers still on top of the ball uh, handler, the guy carrying the ball? Shouldn't they just get up right away? I have to explain that, no, it's not when any part of the body hits the ground, but for the bottom of the feet and the palms of the hand. The, the guy or gal with the ball has to hold the ball and control it through the entirety of the, the tackle. So it's not enough just to make contact with the ground. You need to really hold on to it, it uh, which is quite different. Another question is, why don't we take more time in rugby league to snap the ball? Uh, as opposed to in the American gridiron, which gives you up to 40 seconds from the time of the last play or up to 25 seconds in Canadian football from the time that the ball is placed to snap the ball. And the advantage of having, quote unquote, extra time to gain strategy uh, to the level of a gridiron, uh, it, it's not in parity with rugby league. Right. Having momentum is key. We talk about finishing our sets. So these are things that I'm always constantly explaining to people. Um, and there, you could take somebody who knows nothing about rugby league that's excited about it, and that could be great, and have an Australian or an Englishman um, well-versed in it to explain that. Or, well, you could use me, who knows what the uh, <laughs> translation issues are, but also has the answers. There you go. <laughs> there's, a, there's a job application I can see coming up. Okay, if we look at, if we look at the, the U.S., what constitutes success in your mind, and what would you do to ensure the success of this venture? Well, you really uh, stapled on a very specific one you said in my mind. Um, I do appreciate that this is sports entertainment. That is the industry we are in. We yes. do have to look at financial viability first and foremost in that capacity. Um, having raw numbers show up uh, is not enough. We have to look at you know 
what did we actually collect? Obviously, a first endeavor takes more expense um, because it's blue ocean. We don't know what to expect. We can only do so much to plan around it. But independent of what we earn in the first year, and this is why I'm all for, in this capacity, we'll call it longer election cycles, uh, we have to have a vision and see if we've ticked the box in year one to build strongly and even better in year two. Yeah. Like you said, this is a five-year contract. Uh, we live in sports industry, which, you know, this, this is the goal. It's not to say it can't change. Hopefully it doesn't because I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. And I do believe that we need to stick with this more long-term plan to get people ingratiated with the sport and for the sport to ingratiate itself with people in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. Um, it's very important that we mark both of those. So if you ask me what, how many people need to show up, that is important. Partially, we don't want an empty stadium. Uh, we do have to remember 20,000 people did show up to uh, Denver a few years back for England against New Zealand. Uh, but we do have to look at the raw numbers itself of the dollars and cents. What yeah. are we spending? How much are we bringing in? And does that go forward in a better parity for ROI uh, or return on investment for those that aren't familiar with the uh, phraseology? So um, it's a bit of a non-answer, but unless I have read the specific goals of the NRL, it's very hard for me to comment. I think the big success for me is do we get people engaged in a way that shows that there is viability for us to have the product as a form of entertainment for Americans? And maybe we can even provide a pathway that's very strong for Americans and Canadians to come on board. Okay, so that was my final question. The combine, what do we, what do we see as an opportunity with the, with the Do you think it's realistic to suggest that you could get an athlete that's ex, um, you know, gridiron player who could make a transition to rugby league, whether it's in two, three or four seasons? I think a guy like Jordan Maialata is a great example of how it could go the other way. Mm. He was a South Sydney junior, clearly just a specimen when it comes to being able to be molded. He was flexible clay, highly talented, uh, possibly too big for rugby league. Yep. And not, a, not much fat on that guy, but very big. He is the starting tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles and has been for the past few years. Yeah. Um, there is the precedent going the other way, saying that despite hyper-specialization, in american football in the nfl that he was able to do that and many people try and we have to be reasonable he's probably an outlier on the mode he doesn't represent even the mean or the median but if we can find somebody in australia that can make it into the nfl with 27 million citizens here surely we can find somebody yeah. uh, in the u.s out of 350 million people that would suit the nrl now i don't want to get into the technicals about greater cardiovascular output and requirements in rugby league uh, compared to the um, compared to uh, the NFL, but at the same time, simply based on the numbers and the merit of people who are highly adaptable talent, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do that. Now, finding somebody who gets picked up in combine that goes straight into the NRL, that would be, I would not bet my money on that. Yeah. But maybe we can get some men and some women to be on the practice squads or be in New South Wales uh, Cup, you know, Queensland Cup. Um, and really get built up, not just on how the game is played, but there is, you have to remember, we're talking about human beings. Yep. There is a cultural difference. We all speak English, but it's a bit of a veneer sometimes for underlying cultural differences. Yeah. If we can get people prepared and ready to come over um, and stick to it, I think that we can do a lot in both the NRL and NRLW. Yeah. And it's not limited from former rugby players or former gridiron players. There are plenty of other sports where you could actually make a very good transition track and field. Yes. Uh, 
women's lacrosse, men's lacrosse potentially as well. Yep. Um, these are all avenues in which we should be exploring. But I do believe the combines themselves to find talent really should be attached to top talent universities because we're going to get a lot more press and coverage for these people and a lot more interest as a result. Mason yeah. Cox is a great example. He's six foot 11, uh, which makes him stand out in the AFL and he's now won a grand final. Um, but there is a possibility here. Yeah. It's reasonable if you attack it from all angles. Yeah, yeah. I'd play Patrick Mahomes at lock, but that's just me. I don't know whether he's, <laughs> I don't know whether he's up for that, but maybe we can ask. Uh, Spencer, always fascinating, mate. Really, really interesting. I tell you what, we might get you back again, um, either a little bit closer to, or after we've secured you that position there at Fox Sports or Channel Nine as the assistant commentator. Most definitely after the event over there in Las Vegas. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. I'm station agnostic. I'm just loyal to rugby league. <laughs> I love it. Spencer Casimir there, PhD researcher, uh, host of Lead from the Side podcast. Really interesting what he has to say about the game of rugby league and the impact it's going to have in the US of A. Let's get to the news. After that, we are back with more from the maestro.